Thank you, Elisa and Kathy and the praise team. And we appreciate uh, your giftedness and sharing those things with us more than, more than you'll ever know. Lloyd, thank you for that fine introduction and uh, partnering in ministry with you. We're just like you. Chunks of redeemed clay, saved by his grace, and uh, existing for the praise and honor and his glory. And as we begin the next chapter of our lives, and I speak with Leanne, it's not just me because Leanne and I are a ministry team, and so she helps me more than you will ever know, and, uh, but at any rate, we just uh, appreciate opportunity to serve here at West Highland. And, uh, but as we begin this with our faith journey and spiritual pilgrimage with you, uh, we invite your prayers. And specifically, I want to share with you that uh, we're praying for wisdom. We're praying for knowledge and understanding. And as we move forward under the authorship and leadership of the Holy Spirit, we're we, we just looking forward to what God's about to do here in our midst. And we know that these things are going to be exciting as we, as we move forward. I thought I might share with you that three weeks ago, Leanne and I were talking with another search committee. And three weeks ago, this search committee wanted us to be their interim minister, and uh, we'd been praying about it. But we didn't feel that our giftedness of evangelism and outreach quite matched theirs. And we thought that we could be of greater value here, and so that's what led to us ministering with you. I thought I might share that I'll be in the office this uh, Tuesday and Thursday, and uh, we'll let you know about uh, future things. As a way of uh, personal invitation, you've seen this many, many times. Worship with us next Sunday for another Bible-focused and Christ-centered message packed with biblical principles, insights, and living truths for daily living. You won't want to miss it. And the reason I say you won't want to miss it is because we have a special guest speaker next week. And this individual, Pastor Tom Roberts, is going to be bringing the message. And so fill up your cars and bring a ton load of people to hear another fantastic message from Pastor Tom. Leanne and I uh, had scheduled uh, this year, 2024, will be our 55th wedding anniversary. And so we're... we're And so we're, we're taking a cruise. We're, we're celebrating early, going to get out of Dodge, out of the winter and the snow. And so we would cover your prayers, but Pastor Tom's going to be with us uh, next week. And speaking of Pastor Tom, I'll never forget when he came to West Highland in 2006, I was ministering as an interim at First Baptist Church of Wald Lake. And he had heard about uh, our ministry and being called into ministry from West Highland. And he stopped by Wald Lake. I'd never met him. He stopped by, introduced himself. We had coffee and popcorn and wonderful conversation. And when you're around Pastor Tom, you know that you're talking to a man of God who loves the Lord and uh, just loves all of you. And I know that you are in his prayers this past Christmas. Uh, uh, Leanne and I, for the first time in our lives, we didn't go anywhere 
Our boys couldn't be with us. We called Pastor Tom. He wasn't having anybody over, so we enjoyed wonderful fellowship with him and his wife, Mary, for Christmas dinner. And so, Pastor Tom, you won't, you won't want to miss next Sunday. Last uh, week, I shared with you this slide and that I often wear the hat on the right. I shared that with you. And then, but I like better, how can I pray for you? And right now, I want you to think, as we uh, concentrate on outreach and evangelism, I want you to think of one person that you're pretty sure doesn't know the Lord. And then maybe this week, message them in some way and say, how can I pray for you? You've been on my mind lately. You know, we all can pray for people, but I like to know specifically, and you don't know specifically unless you ask them. And so how can I pray for you today? In addition to this, uh, Debbie Johnson, when she saw these slides, she took a picture of her cousin. We've got permission to use it. And by the way, whenever you send me something, and uh, maybe we'll put it on the big screen here, maybe not, but please always get their permission because these things go out on Facebook and we certainly don't want any surprises here, so be sure and get their permission when you do those kind of things. Here is where I want to go, and when I talked with the elders, the idea, uh, well, when they invited me for this time of transition, I sensed that the Lord uh, had given me a vision or where we want to go, and I want you to be thinking about that in the near future, enabling kingdom growth. And I believe that the Lord wants us to grow spiritually. I believe the Lord wants us to grow, grow numerically. And I had a lady in one church tell me this, well, Pastor Galen, we want to grow spiritually. I don't know about this numerical thing. And I sent up a prayer flare to the Lord, and the Lord just seemed to say, well, if a person is growing spiritually, they will understand the scriptures that talk about sharing the gospel message with others, and so numerical growth is an outgrowth of our spiritualness. And so I want you to be thinking about that. And we also have support in the Great Commission, and all of you know about the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Look at that first line, go and make disciples. That's numerical growth. Take a look at the baptizing them, name Father, Son, Spirit, teaching them to obey. That's the spirituality of where we're going to go. And I want to talk to you just a second here before we move on about spiritual growth. And one of the goals that I'd like to share with you, and you feel free to adopt this this year, but I'm going to encourage you to read through the scriptures in their totality from cover to cover this year. I don't know about you, but I'm not in the, in the Word as often as I should be. And I'm a goal-setting individual, and so let's take our long-range goal. How many chapters are in our Bible? Anybody know? 1,189. You're absolutely right. 1,189. Let's round that off to 1,200 for easy figuring. That's our long-range goal. Let's break that down to a medium-range goal, which would be monthly. That would be 100 chapters. Our daily goal or our short-range goal would be daily, and that would be just a little over three chapters a day. 
I think anybody here in the congregation can read three chapters in the scripture each day. And I remember, I'll never forget when I started that objective many, many years ago. And I started, and man, these onion-thin pages, it didn't seem like I was getting anywhere. But math, if you follow the math, you will get through it in a year. And the idea, obviously, we're, this is not just a book. This is God's holy word. It's the only book in the world that is what we call living because the holy, it's authored by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to resonate with our spirit and to the teachings, and Jesus talks about that. So I invite you to, to uh, take a look at the, that. I know there are various reading plans. Leanne likes to take a reading plan where we have one from the New Testament, one from the Old Testament, maybe one of the Psalms, however you choose to do it. But each week I'm going to share with you and keep you updated as to where you would be if you were on track reading it from cover to cover, letting you know what chapter and so forth. So, uh, oh, by the way, all of your computers, I'm assuming you have antivirus protection on your computers to keep the junk out of them, right? Well, I heard this not too long ago. God's Word is the antivirus for our lives. And the more we read it, the more junk I think we can resist uh, coming into our lives. In addition to those things, I offer, I'll also mention uh, another goal, and that is cultivate, cultivate a prayer life. Cultivate a prayer life more than just before a meal or before you go to bed, but where you get into conversation with the Lord. Where was one of Jesus' favorite places to pray? Do you remember? The mountains. Leanne and I were in Casa Grande, uh, Arizona, near Phoenix, now we're south of Phoenix, and we went up into a mountain just simply to pray. About 3,000 feet, and we worshiped, and we prayed, and we prayed for you. And God doesn't tell us. We don't all have mountains. So what does Jesus tell us to do? Get in your prayer closets. Place where you can get alone with the Father without the distractions and out of this digital age world and pour our hearts out to the Lord, acknowledging who he is, almighty God. Also want to set a challenge for you to bring someone, get someone involved in the life of the church. And I accept the challenge of getting at least one family involved in the life of the church, and I invite you to set a date. I have a goal, and my goal is to get a new family involved in the life of the church each quarter. Hopefully you wouldn't put December 31st, 2024 on there, because, well, you know what that means. It isn't going to happen. So we invite you, invite you to do that. By the way, here's a question. How can we be more effective for the kingdom work? And I would invite you to write that down someplace, maybe put it on your, put it on your Bible. Here's a white notebook. This white notebook was used from the very time I gave my first message 28 years ago. And there's a thing on here that says, how can I be more effective for the kingdom work? And so each day that I bring a message, I'm always confronted with, always asking that question. And so I invite you, I invite you to make that part of 
the thing at the forefront of your thinking. How can we be more effective for the kingdom work? And as we pray, the Lord's going to reveal those things to us. I want to say a big thank you to those of you who were here for Christmas Eve service. What an awesome time that was. And uh, you don't know this, but there were a number of challenges before the service that we had to overcome. And I wanted to give an apology to Jake Crockett here this morning from the pulpit, from me, because um, some of you looked at me questioningly during the service. I was reading the evening news. I don't know if you remember that, but I was reading the evening news, and some of you said, what's up with that? What's going on here? How has that got anything to do with our Christmas Eve service? Well, here's, here's what was supposed to take place. I was reading the evening news, and I'd asked Jake to get Silent Night. And what was happening here was I was reading the evening news of that day. I had scrambled and looked for it and put together the evening news just as if I was reading the news on the radio. And I wanted Jake to take Silent Night, and it's going to work like this, where he would keep increasing in three and a half minutes Silent Night and lower my conversation until you couldn't hear me anymore and it was all silent night and at that very same time charlie allen you may not remember but was dimming the lights in the in the congregation that worked out well and then jerry at the very end of silent night turned on the cross that's what it's all about and i didn't explain that didn't challenge and during the number of challenges we had before the Christmas Eve service, I neglected to tell him to turn up the volume of Silent Night so it was over me. Well, you didn't know that. So at any rate, for those of you, there we have it. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about right under their noses, six miles from Jesus. And think about our message. Six miles from Jesus, all of Jerusalem, Six miles from Jesus, right under their nose. And uh, there was a man who was uh, trying to kill Christmas. And the wise men came and found Christmas. And this individual, Herod the Great. Herod the Great. And we're not going to talk too much about other Herods. There were a number of them. And we've got some information on the information table in the narthex for you to take a look at. And uh, the shepherds were the first to receive the message. The shepherds were the first evangelists. And then we have the first person to reject Christmas, Herod. Wise men were the first Gentiles to worship Jesus. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 2. And we want to take a look at the first 12 verses, Matthew chapter 2. And if you don't have... If you didn't bring your Bibles today, I would encourage you to do so. But take the Bible out of the pew in front of you, and uh, I think it's on page 800 that you will find our pericope of Scripture. And we find the wise men right in on verse 1, and then just as mysteriously right out into the sunset on verse 12. Follow along. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, 
during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the, where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go ahead and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. May the Lord add the blessing to the hearing of his word this morning, and more importantly, as we absorb principles and insights, more importantly than us doing the absorption, that we share them with others, that we share them with others. The wording of our text, I think, makes it clear that when the Magi came to Jerusalem, they didn't go directly to Herod. And you can take a look at that in a minute. And they probably didn't have a face-to-face -face meeting with Herod because it says Herod sought them out and asked questions. Can you imagine what would have happened if they would have gone to Herod first and uh, knocks on the door, pardon me, king, uh, but would you happen to know where we could find the new king of the Jews? Who must be your replacement? <laughs> I don't think they did that. And uh, what is it that we need to know about King Herod, Herod the Great? Well, he was one bad dude, if we use contemporary language. And there are several Herods mentioned in the New Testament, and again, I've got a piece of paper uh, on the information table. But Herod was an Edomite. You know who the Edomites were? Edomites were descendants of Esau. And if you remember, Esau and Jacob were twins. And in the womb, Rebekah said that they struggled. And Rebekah inquired of the Lord. And the Lord tells Rebekah that there are two nations in your womb, and the older is going to serve the younger. And we've had this strife, and we've had this struggle ever since. And uh, we have between spiritual and the world, and between the godly and ungodly. I thought you might be interested in, as we think about Herod, and in my research uh, this week to learn more about Herod, listen to this. He built seven palaces, seven theaters, and built a stadium. 300,000 people could fit in this stadium. By the way, do you know what the largest stadium in uh, 
the United States is, in fact, the Western Hemisphere. Anybody know? U of M, University of Michigan, holds 107,601 seats. So Herod has a stadium almost three times larger than U of M. And Herod was not a godly ruler. I think you know that. Herod was cruel. He was merciless. He was a murderer. And he was incredibly jealous, insane, suspicious, and afraid of his position and power. And he eliminated all potential threats with extreme prejudice. And, uh, for instance, he had the high priest, Aristobulus, who was his um, uh, brother-in-law, drowned. He had his wife murdered. His mother-in-law was on the most wanted list. Two sons were executed. And just five days before his death, he had a third son eliminated. But what you and I remember Herod the Great probably for more than anything else is the title of Butcher of Bethlehem, where he had all the boys, two years and younger, slaughtered. He was troubled. Our text today say he was troubled. And in the Greek means to shake violently because he was afraid of what was happening here. Herod may have thought that this was a military operation. They were spies from, from uh, Persia coming in and going to take over. Was this another conquest by the Babylonians? Maybe the Magi were here to crown some new ruler and make them king on behalf of Persia, kind of like he was the king of the Jews and as a puppet from Rome. Well, who were these Magi? We don't know. We don't know. Scripture really doesn't say that much about them, but it's a Persian word, a special class of priests in the Persian Empire, and we know from the Bible that they existed hundreds of years before our text today. In fact, back in the time of Daniel, and uh, they were brilliant. They were highly educated, and uh, scholars trained in medicine and religion and history. They knew all of these things. They were also trained in astrology and astronomy. And the ancient astrologers studied the skies for meaning to life, like, who am I? Why am I here? And all of those things. Now, before I go any further, I don't want you to go home and think your pastor is promoting these things. Certainly not. There's a difference between astronomy and astrology. Astronomy is the study of the, the stars. The astrology piece is a belief that there is a connection between the position of stars and <coughs> humanity. Where did it come from? We don't know. It just says from the east. And the Persian Empire from the Mediterranean extended a thousand miles to the east. And this idea that we have three, three uh, individuals, three magi coming uh, across the desert, uh, that's nonsense. And you heard me last week talk about Dr. Ken Bailey, who is a Hebrew scholar, New Testament scholar, and a scholar with the Middle East. And he says, no way would a caravan of two individuals uh, that happen. And he said there was probably a complement of over 100 individuals. No wonder Jerusalem was buzzing with all of the information. And what could have motivated them to come across the desert and seek uh, the Lord. Well, we don't know much about that other than maybe 
they assumed that everyone must know about this baby. So when they came, when they came, they went to Jerusalem. But before they did that, you know what they see? And it's been baffled. We have seen his star in the east. We've seen a star in the east. Notice they didn't say big star, superstar, or star of the east, awesome star, magnificent star. His star. His star. And it was not uncommon to associate stuff that you saw in the heavens with the birth of royalty. So they follow this star, this bright light. And I'm reminded of the Exodus event. You remember that, where we have the pillar of light guiding Moses and the Hebrews in the desert. So we have a bright light, a star here, guiding the Magi to Jerusalem. I asked myself, where did all this begin? Why would this even occur? And I'm going to go to the prophet Jeremiah and uh, listen to these words. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Did you get that? Where I carried, I meaning God. God put them there. There were consequences for disobedience. And so God exiled them to Babylon for 70 years. And here's what Jeremiah says, the Lord directing him, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce, and marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Daniel is one of the individuals that was carried off to Babylon. And uh, you remember da uh, Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And none of the wise men, none of the magi could interpret it for the king. Daniel prayed and gave the correct interpretation. You remember that. Well, here's what uh, happened after that. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him honor, and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, and notice this last line, and placed him in charge of all its wise men. And so Daniel remained influential in Babylon. In fact, when, when the Exodus returned from Babylon back to Jerusalem, it's revealed, and Ken Bailey thinks that he stayed in Babylon because Daniel would have been probably in excess of 90 years of age. He was over the wise men. And while he's there, what do you think happened? Obviously, he's going to be telling the other wise men, the other magi of prophecies and all of these things that are taking place. My speculation is that these wise men, 500 years later, came to Jerusalem. They knew the prophecy that Daniel had uh, talked about. And so I think that is a very plausible answer as to what is taking place. And so they heard these prophecies and they acted upon them. And think of the contrast here. 
the Magi met King Herod. They make no effort to worship King Herod, but when they finally arrive and find Jesus, they are the first to worship Almighty God. And to this baby they gave the honor due to a king. We come to the last detail, which we remember. And all of you remember the gifts, right? Where we have uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I think you've heard many messages on these kind of things, and you understand the symbolic representation of these gifts, so won't touch base from that. But what can we learn? What can we learn from these wise men that could possibly have any application in our lives today? Well, I think maybe one is God met them in the midst of their work, and God's going to communicate to you and uh, be faithful. He's going to, right where you're at, Whatever job you find yourself doing, Magi were just simply doing their job when they saw the astronomy, whatever took place, however that bright light occurred. And some believe it maybe was a bright star or maybe the planets are, uh, aligned just right for all those things to happen. And, uh, but what we find is that the star moved. The star stopped. And so certainly couldn't have been an alignment of the planets and all that. And if uh, God wants to change you and your career, he is going to get your attention. I'll never forget 1991, Reverend Carlton Young was our interim pastor, and he was preaching. I don't, remember the, I don't remember the message, I don't remember the song, but on the last song, I was sitting right over there in front of the sound booth. And all of a sudden, just as if I'm having conversation with you, the Lord spoke to me and says, Galen, I want you in my ministry. And I got all choked up, and the tears started coming down my eyes. Derek was standing right beside me, and he looked up and says, What's the matter, Dad? I said, Well, I think the Lord just spoke to me. What did he say? So I shared, uh, and, I, and my prayer that noon was this. Lord, if that's you really speaking, you're going to have to cause some things to happen because uh, this is just too much for me to comprehend. Very next day, the last hour of the day, a young freshman, the smallest thing I've ever seen in my life, came up to me and was the last person out. And she said, Mr. Lowry, have you ever thought about being a pastor? And I thought to myself, out of the mouths of babes, out of the mouths of babes. That Wednesday, we were here in the sanctuary for Bible study and prayer meeting, and uh, right where Tracy and Bettina's setting today is where we were setting, Leanne and I. And a lady by the name of Nancy Boys, her husband Paul, they're both in eternity now. But Nancy turned around at, uh, as a pastor, gave the closing prayer and says, Galen, have you ever thought about entering the ministry? I thought, well, yeah. And uh, that Friday, three things. That Friday, we had done some flying in the airplane, and I was tying down my aircraft, and the manager, brand-new manager, his name Randy, came out and he wanted to introduce himself to all of us, uh, new tenants and all that were tying down planes and getting to know us better. And the first words out of his mouth, are you a preacher? And I says, no. I said, why do you ask? I didn't have on a suit and tie, didn't have a Bible, I just had on a hat and, you know, jeans and was tying down the airplane. And he said these words to me, I don't know. He said, I don't know. I said, I do. He said, what? And so I relayed the experience. I got to witness to him how these things transpired. 
and then we entered seminary four years later. I want you to expect God to use his word and other people to help you. And oftentimes, you say, well, how can I find direction in the word of God? I don't care if it's finances, I don't care if it's relationships, whatever situation, I think God has principles and truths and insights in his word. It's a living word for all of us in our daily walk. And uh, notice what happened when he had called together, that's Herod, together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, the prophet said that. So the word of God even directed back here at this point. I'll never forget when I redirected my life in 1973, I made this kind of a prayer. Maybe some of you have offered it. And when I rededicated my life, I said, Lord, I'd been teaching for three years. What would you like for me to do? You want me to go to the mission field? You want me to be a pastor? What is it that I, how can I serve you? And I was, I don't know if you've ever done this. I don't recommend it. I've only done it uh, actually twice in 50 years. I opened my Bible like this. And there was a verse of scripture. I turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. And those words seemed to be three-dimensional. They seemed to be lifted off of the page. And here's what it says. Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. That's pretty clear to me. That's pretty clear to me. So I felt that the Lord wanted me to continue teaching. And uh, so that's what we did. Also, I think number three is trust God to guide you in the future. Trust God to guide you in the future. God guided the Magi with a star. And you remember Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will what? Direct your paths. Direct your paths. I think another is wise men gave themselves in worship. Now, they gave gifts, but the Bible says the first thing they did was worship. And so I think that's an application for each one of us. Before they gave what with their hands, they gave with their heart and worshiped Almighty God. You know, the greatest gift that you could ever give God is what? Ourself. God get wants ourselves before he wants what we have. And he doesn't need what we have, right? And so he wants our lives. And if you've never surrendered yourself and submitted yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if you've never invited him into your heart, we invite you to do so today or whenever you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit. I think another one is listen and obey. And after the wise men found Bethlehem, what, uh, Jesus in Bethlehem, what happened? They were warned in a dream, weren't they? So first of all, we had them being uh, uh, directed by the star to Bethlehem. We find that they find out that, or rather Jerusalem, then they find out that they need to go to Bethlehem, and they're obeying and they're continued to be following the star. And then a dream and leads them out. Had they gone back to Jerusalem, King Herod might have taken their life. We don't know. You know, three groups of people and three different responses to Jesus' birth. And so we have individuals. Uh, the Herod didn't want to have anything to do 
with Jesus. The chief priests and scribes, six miles from Jesus, right under their noses, they didn't even bother, even though the Magi said, we've seen the star, we're going to Bethlehem, y'all, let's get, on the, let's get, let's get going here, let's, let's go find him. But Bible doesn't say that. They didn't do that. They stayed in Jerusalem. And then we have the Magi who were ready to worship. And don't we have those same three groups of individuals in the world today? Individuals that don't want to hear anything about Jesus. And I've got an individual to whom I sent a Christmas card. And anytime I mention spiritual stuff, keep that stuff, I, I don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. And then we have individuals who, you know, they got better things to do. They don't want to hear anything about Jesus. And then there are those who the Holy Spirit has opened their hearts and has penetrated their hearts and to know about him. Well, all of them again, right under their noses, six miles from Jesus. You know what Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, verse 12? I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew 5, 14, here's what Jesus says. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And as Christ followers, we are to reflect the light of Christ in order to lead others to Jesus. And just like the light of the star that led the Magi, uh, God is going to lead you. And you may be the star in somebody else's life. You may be the light. And that's why I asked you to think of one person that doesn't know Jesus and to ask them how you can pray for them. And we need to be praying for individuals. I had an uncle in Indiana, and he was uh, uh, dying from lung cancer. And I knew that he didn't know the Lord, even though he went to the church that I, that I grew up in. And so my sister and I kept talking to him about the Lord. And it seemed like the more we talked to him about the Lord, the more it repelled him. And he didn't even, it, it, he, he would see us coming, and he would almost say, stay away from me. So what, Leanne, what my sister Carol and I did, we says, okay, this is not, we're not going to be able to reach our uncle. So let's do this. We planted a seed. Let's pray that someone else be able to reach him. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed. You know what the Bible says about prayer? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so as we prayed, lo and behold... His stepdaughter led him to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And uh, you are the author and the finisher of our faith. You are almighty God. And Lord, we just, we just thank you. We thank you for what you've done this past year. We look expectantly forward to this year and are excited uh, about what we have our hands on through the through the Holy Spirit, and we're just excited, Lord, about how you're going to use West Highland Baptist Church and, and the congregation mightily for your kingdom and outreach and evangelism efforts. Father, we, we turn our time over to you. We turn our life over to you and uh, use it for the maximum effectiveness of your kingdom work. And so we turn this time over to you. We turn our lives over to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.